There's over 750,000 Muslims in New York City, and that population is growing. And at the same time, the need for halal food is growing, and there's still no central repository or collection of halal food assistance programs that people can access. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. Throughout the pandemic, we've witnessed a surge in food insecurity and long lines at pantries across the city. At the same time, pantries have struggled to keep up with the demand and in some cases have been forced to turn people away. That includes the few pantries that supply halal food. Halal, which means permissible in Arabic, is used to describe food that adheres to Islamic laws. Halal meat products must be slaughtered and processed in accordance to Islamic procedures. And food must be free of alcohol and pork or pork byproducts. Oftentimes, it's more expensive than non-halal foods. As halal food pantries fail to get the support they need to continue operating like they used to, our neighbors in need are finding it particularly difficult to secure food they can eat. Today, I speak to Hannah Sheikh. Maya Delane, and Adriana Curto at the Arab American Family Support Center. The organization recently helped publish a study on the accessibility of halal food in New York City. Um, so my name is Adriana, and I'm the Development and Communications Coordinator at the Arab American Family Support Center. We're our nonprofit organization that was founded in 1994 uh, to provide social services to underserved communities in New York City, um, including immigrants in a culturally and linguistically competent way. We're located in all five boroughs, and we've served 10,000 community members this past year. We're open to all, but over the past few years, we've developed an expertise in serving the Amenamsa community, which is the Arab, Middle Eastern, North African, Muslim, and South Asian community. So that's a bit about the agency as a whole. I can pass it to, to Maya to introduce herself as well. Hi, I'm Maya Delan, Director of Research and Evaluation. Thanks, Adrian, for that introduction. I'll, I'll also just add that critical to our mission as an organization filling a gap in the social service landscape for Arab, Middle Eastern, North African, Muslim, and South Asian community members is our commitment to data research and evaluation. We have always understood the importance of, of health and food security in you know, the overall well-being of the families and communities that we serve, but COVID-19 really accentuated food insecurity for our community members. And in that time, we experienced a 350% increase in demand for our SNAP enrollment program more specifically. We also just anecdotally throughout our programs, we're hearing that food security was becoming a more pressing concern. At the same time, the community members that we serve were reporting that the food pantry and emergency food systems that were expanding across the city to meet, meet widespread food insecurity were inaccessible in their ability to meet the dietary needs of halal community members in particular, many of whom were experiencing a nexus of challenges that left them particularly vulnerable to the economic ramifications of COVID-19 and were experiencing acute food insecurity, but we're seeing that the offerings at food pantries were not meeting their needs. And would you mind explaining what is halal food in the first place and what kinds of items people are seeking? Because I noticed in the research study that it's not just meat, but it's food to complement the diet itself. So would you just mind explaining a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, Hannah, do you want to take that one? Hannah is our research assistant. Yeah, so much like uh, kosher dietary restrictions, halal food, as a, it boils down to the manner in which meat is both like slaughtered as well as the kinds of meat that are acceptable in a halal Muslim diet. So this includes no pork or pork byproducts or any form. And also it includes that meats like um, beef, chicken, lamb, all other kind of non-pork meats are slaughtered in a halal um, way, which is subject to different kind of certifications and standards that are not, not necessarily uniform, but there are, I think, organizations that process and uh, produce like halal slaughtered meat. Um, so in that way, it's kind of it's really analogous to kosher meat. And so oftentimes the needs that halal observant Muslims that frequent food pantries, the needs that they have include, you know, even if they're not looking for meat products, that the foods that they're receiving don't have you know, non-halal meat byproducts in them. For example, if they go to a food pantry that is offering canned chili, maybe that chili has ground beef in it, but there's no way to know, there's no way for that Muslim or halal observant um, uh, person to know where that meat is from, whether or not that meat is halal. And so through our research, we observed that, you know, our, our service population, our, our clients are looking for food pantries that have whole foods, so foods that are not overly processed, um, so they don't necessarily have to worry about specifically what's in the food, um, foods that are healthy, and then also foods that are not necessarily just halal or halal um, safe, I guess, but also foods that are compatible with their cultural diets. So foods that they know how to cook, foods that they know how to integrate into their day-to-day -day cooking and, you know, how, how they know how to feed their families. Yeah, and I'd also just add, I mean, painting the picture of New York City. I mean, New York City is such a diverse community and there's over 750,000 Muslims in New York City and that population is growing. And at the same time, the need for halal food is growing and um, there's still no central repository or collection of halal food assistance programs that people can access. So that's one of the things that we go into in the report as well, is that while this population is here and it's growing and not accurately represented in um, data because of the census and not having a MENA category to represent financially and advocate or advocating in um in Congress, there's a need for growing halal food demand as well as resources for people to access um, so that they know they're going somewhere that has halal food. What about the food pantries themselves? What kinds of challenges have they run into in trying to even like acquire halal food? Yeah, so this, this actually was something that we studied through the survey that we administered to uh, about 75 food pantries across New York City. Um, and far and away, the, the most pressing challenge is the affordability of and, and, and difficulty finding halal food. Halal food is typically more expensive, um, especially halal meat. And that is really an underlying issue that affects both the food pantries and the halal observant families who are trying to, you know, stretch their limited dollars to ensure that their families have um, an adequate amount of food. 
Um, halal food pantries also reported that within the very large network that they're that they're a member of, um, the process by which halal food is supplied is often unreliable. And so even though some food pantries reported that occasionally they might get some halal meat, um, that they knew that it wasn't necessarily something that they were able to rely on. And that causes issues with the navigability of the halal food within the food pantry landscape. And, and for community members who are trying to find a food pantry that they can, you know, trust and, um, and rely on, that, that really presents an issue. And as we've known from Epicenter's reporting as well as, as, well as um, you know, reporting on the food, food um, landscape nationally, the inflated cost of food more generally is is an issue for food pantries in and of itself. So this real this issue really is compounding those existing inflation concerns um, and is is causing acute challenges for supplying all food. Um, and at the end of the day, New York City really needs to do a better job of documenting and tracking the availability of halal food in the emergency food landscape. We did the study because there is no, as as Adriana said, central repository for information about which food pantries provide halal food. Is there anything that New Yorkers can do both to help these food pantries and help the people that need, that are accessing these services? I would say that it, it really is critical to advocate for awareness of this accessibility issue. Um, New York City council members, government agencies, our mayor can really play a role in, in some of the structural issues at play here. But unfortunately, what we've found is that very few of them are even tuned into this issue and are, are thinking about food security for sure and, and really see it as a critical issue, but are not thinking broadly enough about what food accessibility really means and, and particularly for halal observant families. And so I think the, the critical call to action here would be to help elevate this issue and, and call upon representatives to, um, to enact these changes. And just, just kind of to add to that final point and also to your question about, you know, what New Yorkers or readers can do to um, help kind of bridge this uh, halal foods food needs gap is we highlighted uh, food pantries that, you know, are doing great work in terms of um, servicing the needs of halal observant uh, Muslims in New York City, and that includes ICNA Relief, um, APNA, and the Halal Community Fridge in Queens, um, Piece by Piece, and there's a couple more that are mentioned in the report too. So um, just highlighting those organizations, you know, sharing more about the amazing work that they're doing, and, you know, also providing, you know, support donations can really help, you know, bridge the gap in terms of the burden that a lot of these organizations face in, you know, purchasing halal food, making ends meet in terms of supplying the needs of the community. So I just wanted to add that. I also spoke with Ishak Alpar, the director of support services at ICNA Relief, about what he's noticed in his work running a halal food pantry. This is one of the first Ikhnarali food pantry that started in 2008 and has been in progress since then. We are in collaboration with Food Bank NYC. We are also in collaboration with HRA. So basically, uh, we are one of the organizations that has halal food pantry. And since the demand has been so high, uh, we ex expanded our project. So we have about six pantries in New York altogether, one in Long Island, two in Queens, two in Brooklyn, and one in Bronx. 
Would you mind telling me a little bit more about the people who come? Like what percentage are Muslim? Uh, basically, since it's a halal food pantry, we, I, I would say anywhere between 70 to 75% of our clients are Muslim. And being that our diet is completely different than any other pantry, that also puts a larger demand and more customers to our clients towards our pantry as well. So. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I noticed. There's not a lot of halal food pantries. How do you guys get all this food? Like, does Food Bank supply the halal specific food? So we have been in collaboration with them a lot through the, throughout these years, and they understand what kind of uh, need is for us. So what we do is, when there's a communication through meetings, we ex uh, we express our what the needs are in, in the market. So they allocate a certain amount of funding toward the halal items. So through that, we are able to buy halal. They have been very helpful in the past and also in the future. There is also Met Council, who has been uh, an organization who has helped us during our holy month in Ramadan. They have provided us dates for uh, for clients because in month of Ramadan. This is one of the hot items and also other diet stuff like cans, chickpeas and stuff like that. So they have been very helpful throughout the year as well. So. And have you noticed like funding go up or down since the pandemic? Well, after the pandemic, there has been a lot of cut downs. So we have just seen we have met a lot of challenges. Usually we used to get pallets of stuff. Now it's just very specific. Well, we used to get abundance of produce items, for example, eight, nine different produce items. But now we only get two to three. Which is, which is what we can accommodate people is what we have is what we give. But back in during pandemic and this time we used to get pallets, pallets of stuff. We used to get spinach, we used to get watermelon, we used to get oranges, onions, potatoes. The, the, some of these items are really demand items that are, that are needed by the clients. So they have, there's been a, due to a lot of cut downs, uh, we're not getting those. So we are thinking in future is gonna start back again. And what about um, you guys as um, your team? What do you guys need the most right now? Well, volunteer is one of the things that we do need. Um, we need to get our data collected as concrete as possible. So with the data, you can provide the city that this is how many people we're serving. And this is how many people are we are serving halal. And you can see the demand is increasing. So the more precise and collective data we have, the better it is for you when you're applying for grants and everything. Like Ishak, Hannah, Maya, and Adriana all explained, there are very limited resources for our neighbors who follow a halal diet and need help securing food. To help, you can make a monetary donation to the Arab American Family Support Center Families Essentials Pantry or donate essential items to their Family Essentials Pantry like diapers, out of flour, beans, rice, and oil. You can also volunteer at upcoming food distribution events. Check our show notes for more information on how to get involved. Finally, contact your elected officials to advocate for increased funding and resources to emergency food organizations. Before we go, our new weekly update on monkeypox in New York City. Be sure to tune in for the latest information on vaccines, testing, care options, and much more. Hi. I'm Sam Zacker, back with this week's New York City Monkeypox update. Last week, I answered some questions around monkeypox vaccine eligibility and rollout. Before I get into something new, there's been a development in vaccine rollout. On Friday, New York City released another 16,000 monkeypox vaccine appointments, including appointments for second doses. 
So if you've had trouble getting a dose in the past few weeks, try again this week. If you need additional help getting a monkeypox vaccine, you can also always reach out to us at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or fill out a request on our vaccine intake form linked to in the show notes. Now for today's update. There's currently no treatment specifically for monkeypox, so what should you do if you have it? First, the type of treatment for monkeypox will depend on how sick someone gets or whether they're likely to get severely sick. Luckily, most people will recover fully within two to four weeks without the need for medical treatment. Still, there are a handful of ways you can take care of yourself. First, keep the skin lesions or rash as clean as possible. You should also cover the rash with gauze, bandages, or non-irritating gloves. This is especially important to do while you're in shared or public spaces. And while it may be difficult, make sure you're not lancing or scratching the lesions since it may cause the virus to spread to other body parts. Next, wear a mask and wash your hands often. We've gotten good at this over the past two years. Finally, eat healthy and get plenty of rest. It's important to allow your body to heal. For more details on symptoms and ways to stay safe, make sure to visit the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene website. We've linked to it in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Join us weekly for more news and information on monkeypox in New York City. Keep in mind that things are changing quickly, so if you have any specific questions or, again, need help finding a vaccine, reach out to us directly at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or call 917-818-2690. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.